I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to episode 55. Today I'm going to be telling you about the disappearance of Glenn and Bessie Hyde back in 1928. I was searching for some ideas on missing 411 cases, and this one popped up. At first I wasn't really sure if it should even qualify as a missing 411 case, and I wasn't certain that it was really all that mysterious. But there are some strange points and certainly a couple of twists that make this one an interesting story. So we're going to start where any good story starts, at the beginning. Glenn Roland Hyde was born December 9th, 1898, and was 29 years old in 1928 when he disappeared. He was six feet tall and had brown hair. Glenn was raised in Hanson, Idaho, and attended the University of Idaho. He worked as a farmer in the area and was also an avid outdoorsman. Bessie Louise Haley was born December 29, 1905. She was 22 at the time of her disappearance. Bessie was raised in Parkersburg, West Virginia. She married Earl Helmick on June 5, 1926, in Catlettsburg, Kentucky, while she was a student at Marshall College. Bessie and Earl had gone to high school together. Shortly after their wedding, Bessie returned to her parents' home in West Virginia. It was reported that shortly after, Bessie planned to study art in San Francisco the following year. No explanation for her decision was given, and rumors swirled that Bessie was pregnant, a rumor that was not confirmed, and I think it's pretty much a BS rumor. Basically, back then, any time a woman went off somewhere, she was immediately supposed to be pregnant. But why the secrecy? She was married. So, I think that was unfounded. Bessie and her new husband, Earl, only lived together about two months during their marriage. So, Bessie made her way to California, and on an overnight cruise from San Francisco to L.A., she met Glenn Hyde, and they started a romantic relationship. But Bessie was still married to Earl, and Earl refused to get a divorce, so Bessie moved to Elko, Nevada to establish residency in order to obtain a divorce decree there. Her divorce from Earl was finalized on April 11, 1928, and she and Glenn were married April 12, 1928. They did not waste any time at all. The couple settled into life at Glenn's home near the town of Murtaugh in Twin Falls County, Idaho. Glenn longed for adventure, and so did Bessie. Though it was reported she learned to ride a horse, got a dog, and worked just as hard as her husband on the farm, she wanted something more. So the couple planned to take a trip down the Colorado River for their honeymoon. Most people setting out on their honeymoon are expecting a happy, fun sort of trip. I don't know of anyone who expects to set out on the honeymoon and not come back. Okay, maybe me? Because we went to the Bermuda Triangle? 
We didn't really go to the Bermuda Triangle. We were on a cruise ship that drove through the Bermuda Triangle, and I might have been hoping for something exciting to happen. Something exciting that would have recorded on the equipment I brought along. And it doesn't really sound very good when you say that you brought equipment along on your honeymoon. Basically, I had a compass and a digital recorder. I was hoping for the electromagnetic field issues in the triangle to make my compass go wonky, and it didn't. Anyway, Glenn Hyde said their trip was a vacation jaunt to give Mrs. Hyde a thrill. But then again, isn't that what all honeymoons are for? To give your wife a thrill? The two left Green River, Utah on October 22, 1928, in a two-ton wooden boat called a Sweep Scow that is a flat-bottom boat capable of traversing shallow waters. Glenn had actually built the boat himself. By mid-November, Glenn and Bessie had reached Lee's Ferry, which is considered to be the official Grand Canyon starting point for the Colorado River. While there, an an experienced river runner advised them to purchase life jackets, but Glenn refused. He wanted to complete their journey without safety equipment to make their adventure more thrilling and daring in the retelling. But you can't retell it if you're dead, so there's that. The next stop along the Colorado River was Phantom Ranch, near River Mile 88, sometime around November 18th. Here they hiked Bright Angel Trail out of the canyon to top off their food supplies. By this point, they had traveled 400 miles in record time, and it was here that Glenn was documented as speaking about trying to complete the whole trip faster than it had ever been done before. The Hides also stopped to talk to photographer Emery Kolb. Kolb had made the very same trip the Hides were attempting on two different occasions, and the Hides wanted to pick his brain. Emery Kolb tried to convince the couple to postpone their trip, until after the winter when the weather would be better. He even went so far as to offer them a place to stay in his home, but Glenn declined. Glenn sounds like a dumbass, I'm sorry. Kolb then tried to convince them to take along life jackets that Kolb said they could use, but Glenn again refused. He said they would complete their trip without life jackets or else. Glenn shared with Kolb that both he and Bessie had already been thrown from the scow by the rapids, but they were sticking to his plan. Glenn Hyde wanted to complete the trip in the fastest time yet, without the safety of life vests or rafts. They would be the first couple to make the trip, and Bessie would be the first woman, and it was said that the two, or at least Glenn, planned to make money by writing a book and hitting the lecture circuit speaking about their adventure. Making a trip like this without safety equipment isn't more thrilling. It just makes it stupid. I had a rowboat sink one time, and no matter how well you can swim, you can't help someone else who is panicking unless you are all wearing life vests. That's my PSA for this episode. Wear a personal flotation device. Just before leaving the Kolb house, Bessie Hyde either gave away items of clothing and shoes to Emery Kolb's daughter, or simply commented on his daughter's clothing, saying, I wonder if I shall ever wear pretty shoes again. While in Bright Angel Creek, the Hides met Adolph Sutro, a San Francisco capitalist, 
and agreed to take him about seven miles downriver. He was the last person to see them as he said goodbye at the Hermit Trail, and they set out down the Colorado on their way to Needles, California, where they were due around December 6th. Mr. Sutro later commented that Glenn constantly spoke of the fame and fortune the trip would bring to their lives, but Bessie seemed less invested. I'm just going to throw this in here. Glenn really seems like a narcissist. Two days after leaving Emery Kolb's house, Glenn and Bessie Hyde disappeared. When Glenn and Bessie Hyde didn't arrive in Needles, California, their families became concerned. Authorities were notified and a search was started. Those familiar with traversing the river said that at this time of the year, the Colorado was at its low flow period and is virtually impassable by boat below the canyon walls. Should the Hides have managed to shoot the rapids below Bright Angel Trail, their homemade scow might be stranded on a sandbar in the desert. Native Americans living along the river between Needles and the Mojave Desert Reservation, 50 miles north, reported no boat or sign of the couple had been seen in that district. The area between Bright Angel and Needles is wilderness, or at least it was back then, with only a few scattered Native American villages. Mr. Haley, Bessie's father, contacted West Virginia Governor Gore and asked for help. Governor Gore telegraphed the War Department requesting that a search for Mr. and Mrs. Hyde of Parkersburg be instituted. Major General John L. Hines of the 9th Corps area in San Francisco was directed December 20th by Secretary Davis to search by airplane through the Colorado River Canyon from Bright Angel Trail to Needles, California. Roland Hyde, Glenn's father, posted a $1,000 reward, which would be equivalent to just over $16,000 today. P.P. Paprall, the assistant superintendent of Grand Canyon National Park, headed a search along with a tri-motored army plane and Native Americans. Emery Kolb was also called in to help assist in a search. As someone who had made the trip twice before, and who spent his time photographing the area, Kolb was experienced in the area and terrain. On December 20th, the Army plane spotted the scow, or boat. The boat was found upright and completely intact. Inside was clothing, food, rifle, a camera with the last photograph taken near mile marker 165, possibly around the date of November 27th, and Bessie's diary. The boat showed no signs that it had been battered by rapids or that it had been turned over in the rough water. There were no tracks leading away from the boat. There was no sign of any kind of any disturbance on the riverbank. The last entry in Bessie's diary was dated November 30th, and indicated the couple was near an area called Diamond Creek. The search team focused its efforts around that area. December 25th, almost 40 days since the couple was missing, searchers found footprints on the riverbank at Bass Cable Crossing and Ruby Canyon Rapids in the bottom of the Great Gorge. The footprints indicated that Glenn had gotten out of the boat to survey the rapids ahead. The search was eventually called off, the hides were presumed to have drowned, though no bodies were ever found. 
I tried looking up if not finding bodies in the Colorado River is normal, but the only thing I came across was information on all of the bodies that were found in the Colorado River. Many who hear this story make the assumption that these two adventurers were a couple of yahoos desiring adventure without the needed skill. However, Glenn was well-versed in boat-making, and the 20-foot scow was well-made. In addition, several years before, Glenn and his sister Jean Hyde traveled in a boat similar to the one in which he and his wife used to safely navigate the dangerous Salmon River. In the letters the Hydes managed to send home, they said the Colorado Rapids had no straight drops such as he and his sister encountered on the Salmon River, but they were longer and much faster and bigger. They also said that Glenn had been swept off the boat once and was held back on board by his wife. Still, Glenn's friends expressed confidence that in view of his experiences in safely navigating other dangerous rivers, he would be able to traverse the rapids of the Colorado River in safety. Also, Emery Kolb, the photographer the Hydes met with, said that Bessie seemed to be either weary of the trip or unnerved about the upcoming rapids. Bessie was a beginner when it came to rapids, at least when she started out on the journey, though she ended up having a solid couple weeks of negotiating the rapids at the time of their disappearance. One theory put forth was that the pressure of trying to do the trip the fastest and to complete the trip so that Bessie was the first woman to do it made the couple, specifically Glenn, sloppy, which led to mistakes, fatal ones. But if their disappearance is to be blamed on rookie mistakes, why did their boat show no signs of this? One historian noted that the couple was most likely swept out of their boat when it hit submerged rocks in the heavy rapids near River Mile 232. Otis R. Marston, the historian, noted, Pieces of granite wall lie submerged where they have damaged, snared, or capsized more boats than any other location in the canyon. Still, why were the items in the boat still there if this was the case? The diary wasn't damaged. I don't think the camera was damaged. How is this possible? How did the boat manage to go through that with no damage? So the first interesting twist in this story happens in 1971 on a commercial Grand Canyon rafting trip. There was an elderly woman on the trip named Georgie White Clark, who was quiet and mostly kept to herself. As the group stopped to camp at Little Diamond Creek, near where the Hyde's boat was found, the river guides told the story of Glenn and Bessie Hyde. Georgie White Clark blurted out that she was in fact Bessie Hyde and that she had stabbed her husband because he was abusive. She went on to say that she wanted to leave the trip and Glenn became irate and hit her when she attempted to leave, so she stabbed him. Later, Georgie White Clark denied everything, saying she had no idea what the interviewer was talking about. After Georgie's death in May of 1992, there was more speculation that her tale was true. Georgie was found to be in the possession of Bessie and Glenn Hyde's marriage certificate. Georgie White Clark was a river running guide in the Grand Canyon and the first woman to run the Grand Canyon as a commercial enterprise, and she introduced several innovations and adjustments to the way guides ran the Colorado River. 
The second twist to the story came in 1979, and it involved Emery Kolb. You'll remember that he was the photographer that the Hydes spoke with, and he also headed up part of the search party when the Hydes went missing. When Emery Kolb died, a shoe, some clothing, and skeletal remains were found in a canoe in Emery Kolb's garage. Not long after the skeleton was found, speculation started that it was the remains of Glenn Hyde. Some believe that Emery killed Glenn in order to have Bessie all to himself, but whether she was a willing participant or not was never mentioned. In 1987, Unsolved Mysteries featured the Hyde's disappearance on their show. They evaluated the possibility that the skeleton was Glenn Hyde's. Forensic anthropologist Dr. Walter Birkby emphatically stated that the skeleton was not Glenn Hyde, based on comparison of the skull with photos of Glenn Hyde. What the skeleton did have was a bullet hole in the skull, made by a 32 caliber revolver. The bullet was still lodged there. In 2008, because of some photographs that were donated to the Grand Canyon Museum, and because the Coconino County Sheriff's Department was trying to solve cold cases, the skeleton was able to be identified as a suicide victim found in the park. According to park superintendent reports, there was a skeleton of a man found on a ledge in 1933, under the canyon rim near Shoshone Point, and along with him was a 32 caliber revolver with two cartridges and an exploded shell. Using the photos of the skeleton that was found on the ledge, and comparing them to the skeleton found in Kolb's garage, they were able to confirm they were one and the same. Basically, it ended up that it was definitely not Glenn Hyde. I do not have an explanation as to why Emery Kolb would think storing someone's remains in a canoe in his garage was a good and proper thing to do. The skeleton from Shoshone Point still has not been identified. Also interesting to point out that Georgie White Clark and Emery Kolb basically hated each other. Georgie even refused to be in the same room with him. Did he know who she was and what she had done? So, what happened to Glenn and Bessie Hyde? The simple answer is that they drowned in an accident on the rapids. Normally, I would have no issues believing that to be true, but the boat leaves me a little puzzled. It had no damage, had all the gear stored in it, no damage to the diary or the camera, and by damage I'm mostly referring to water damage. And that makes me feel as though a struggle with the rapids wasn't as cut and dry. It seems that in all the things I've read, many feel the same way, that there should have been some type of telltale sign on the boat that they went through something harrowing. We know that the skeleton in Kolb's garage, though strange and certainly disrespectful, wasn't a murder victim and wasn't Glenn Hyde. That leaves the theory of Georgie White Clark. Some people point out that Georgie's year of birth, 1911, and Bessie's, 1905, don't match, and that is proof that she isn't Bessie. But come on, if you watch any crime shows or listen to any true crime podcasts, you know that people take on identities and don't necessarily tell the truth. 
If you want to hide who you are, you don't use your own birth date. I also saw mentioned that people claimed that because Georgie Clark had gone on to have a family, that meant she wasn't Bessie. People, that happens all the time. Watch a television show. Personally, I think Georgie's story is compelling. I think that evening at the camp, she blurted out who she was and what happened because she'd been holding it in for so long. And then afterwards, when she was questioned, she realized she should have just shut up and not said anything and ended up denying it even happened. She had the marriage license and, apparently, her birth certificate said her first name was actually Bessie. I also looked at some photos of the two women, and I personally see a likeness, especially around the nose and in their smiles. I'd like to think Georgie was Bessie and that she gave an abusive SOB what he deserved. I wanted to share one last little bit of information before we end the episode. Not only is this case mysterious and strange as far as the disappearance of Bessie and Glenn Hyde goes, but apparently, according to some people who commented on different articles about the disappearance of the Hydes, in the area of Little Diamond Creek, some claim that there's some paranormal things that happen. Some say that when they're camping in that area during a rafting trip, that they feel another presence there. It's like somebody else is with them and they're being watched. They can feel that presence, but they can't see anything. Other people have mentioned that they feel almost as if they're being followed around when they're walking around in that area. Is it the hides? Who knows? That's going to do it for this episode. You can find all of our episodes wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. If you have a moment, please consider giving us a five-star review if your podcast app allows that sort of thing. You can also find episodes at lurkpodcast.com. And if you've been listening to us through Facebook, be aware that Facebook is no longer going to have podcast episodes on their pages after June 1st. No explanation as to why, but do they ever explain why they do anything over on Facebook? The Bigfoot Convention in Virginia is coming up June 18th, just as another reminder. And we have merchandise for you to purchase at lurkpodcastmerch.com. And until next time, keep lurking. Mm-hmm.